Good morning, Sun West. Uh, welcome again to Church at Home. And as things in our world are changing a little bit, then there's certain restrictions that are changing. Uh, and the weather's getting nicer. Maybe you're doing church out in the deck. Maybe uh, you're doing church with extended family. Maybe it might be time to, to do church with, uh, with a small group uh, that you're a part of. Uh, and I would just encourage you to keep leaning in as a, as a faith community during this time. And uh, and where restrictions are allowing, let's let's uh, let's stay involved in each other's lives. And maybe there's ways for us to do uh, our faith community and our church experience uh, in some new creative ways uh, in the coming weeks and months uh, as well. Uh, just a reminder that uh, after service today, uh, we'll be having a covenant community meeting at three o'clock uh, for those uh, for those covenant community members that are able to join. Uh, we're going to continue our series. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark uh, right now. And uh, and a few weeks ago, uh, you, you know, it's not only church at home that's been going on online, but our, our youth ministries, our kids' ministries have been uh, online as well. And uh, Colts have been doing a great job leading, leading our kids uh, with senior highs on Wednesday nights and junior highs on Thursday nights and finding creative ways for kids to still have fun. Uh, and one of the ways that they've did, they did that is they did a trick shot uh, contest a few weeks ago, and my middle son Luke actually won it for the junior high. So way to go, Luke! And I'm going to show you the trick shot that he had uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So, so here it is, Luke's trick shot. Luke's trick shot. And that's my trick shot. So nice work, Luke. Um, way to go for the win. Uh, but if one, one thing I noticed in all the trick shots that the kids are doing, often they, they, they involved dominoes. And if you've ever um, played with dominoes at all in your life, it's fun to kind of set them up that way and you knock over one and then they all go down. And I think that that domino picture of uh, one event happening and it just kind of... Uh, leading to a ripple effect of all these other events happening uh, is maybe a very simple picture of what's happening in our world right now. I remember, uh, and you remember, a few months ago as COVID started, uh, it was a significant domino. And that domino affected, uh, you know, one part of the world. And then it kind of spread to other parts of the world. And it affected, uh, it started affecting, affecting trade and travel and as a consequence, our economy and uh, and that affects people hurting and people, uh, you know, people um, wrestling with that and the, the mental health and effects that that might have and the economic effects that that has on, on families. Uh, and then uh, even last week in, in Calgary, we were talking about, um, we, were, we were talking about uh, the conversion therapy bill that was going on. Uh, and that was taking all the, uh, taking place in the news and in conversations, and then uh, and then we had the the murder of jo- George Floyd in the states, uh, and that tragic event, and and the ripple effect that that's ha- having now uh, with an outcry in many countries against racism and injustices, and it's just like uh, these dominoes are just moving, and it's been one thing after another, and it's if you're anything like me, it's been hard to to keep up with it. Uh, it's been hard to know even emotionally how to respond to everything that's happening um, and uh, and make decisions in the midst of everything that is happening. 
Uh, A.W. Uh, Pink uh, had, has a quote, and it says, Testings reveal the state of our hearts. A crisis neither makes nor mars a man, but it does manifest him. And, uh, and so crisis does not necessarily uh, change us as much as it maybe reveals who we are at the depth of our being. And I, I think when we look around the world right now, we look at the crisis that's, that are happening in so many different ways. We're seeing both the beauty and the horror manifesting in our day. We are seeing uh, both uh, the beauty of humanity and the evil of humanity simultaneously. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says that um, God created mankind in his image. Male and female he created in the image of God. And in Revelation chapter 7, it says that the kingdom of God is, is a place uh, where, every, where people from every nation, from every tribe, and from every language are, are gathering together as one in community. This is a picture of, uh, the Bible calls it the New Jerusalem, the picture of, of God's coming kingdom. And part of our vision at SunWest is to be a suburb of that new Jerusalem, to live as a foretaste of that coming kingdom today. And in light of everything that's going on in this past week, we've heard lots of talk around, uh, you know, this idea that black lives matter. Last week, I talked about the mountains and valleys and the uh, and that uh, prophetic picture that Isaiah gives and Mark refers to in his gospel. And... Uh, and this idea that, that God is coming and, uh, and he's sending a messenger, preparing the way. And that was the role of John the Baptist, the role of Elijah, uh, and, and saying that the mountain shall be brought low and the valley shall be brought up and the land of God. Uh, it'll be like a highway for the coming of Yahweh, for the coming of God, for revival, for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And so we see this beautiful picture of God's land being a prairie land, a flat land, which is a picture, I think, of God's equality, the accessibility of every person, every tribe, every tongue, every nation to have access to God uh, and to be one together under the lordship of Jesus. And, and I think that we have a glimpse in this crisis, as horrific as it has been, where things are being shaken, where mountains are being brought low, where valleys are being brought up. And here's a picture that happened in Calgary even just l this last week. And I look at this, I look at this picture and it's, it, it's, I get emotional as I, as I look at it because I even see here a foretaste in our own city of, of what happens. Yes, you know, coming out of horrific events, but a picture of mountains coming down, valleys being lifted up, and people uh, coming together in unity and and there's been an outcry of of prayer and a posture of getting on our knees um, a posture of looking to god because we're we're maybe more helpless we feel more helpless than we ever have and and, and i believe it's setting the stage setting the environment uh, for renewal and for revival and and indeed it's already coming um, i i think it's important in this time uh, not to be silent. I'm not, I'm not one who really puts a stake in the ground too often and gives political statements. Um, and I want to be clear for, for myself as a, as a pastor, as a, as a leader, as a husband, as a father, as, as someone who's a part of SunWest uh, Church, uh, that, what, uh, that racism 
and I want to speak specifically about racism here for a, mi for a minute, is diametrically opposed to the, the teachings and the person of Jesus and the kingdom that he's inviting us to. Um, in fact, our, our confession of faith in, in our faith, can, uh, faith family, in our family of churches, uh, says this. It says violent, or it's, sorry, it says that we are called to be agents of reconciliation in all relationships, to practice love of enemies as taught by Christ, and to be peacemakers in all situations. We view violence in its many different forms as contradictory to the new nature of the Christian. We believe that the evil and inhumane nature of violence is contrary to the gospel of love and peace. Amen. That's taken from our confession of faith. Um, and then Martin Luther King, in a, in a similar uh, type of tone and voice, said this, violence never really deals with the basic evil of the situation. Violence may murder the murderer, but it doesn't murder murder. Violence may murder the liar, but it doesn't murder lie. It doesn't establish truth. Violence may even murder the dishonest man, but it doesn't murder dishonesty. Violence may go to the point of murdering the hater, hater, but it doesn't murder hate. It may increase hate. It is always a descending spiral leading nowhere. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And we know that Martin Luther King led a revolution and a revival of bringing mountains down and valleys up. And, uh, and that is my prayer that, that, that as a church, as a faith community, that we would take the posture, that we would follow Jesus' lead, and that we would create a highway, a prairie land uh, for the kingdom of God uh, to come in this time. Um, I want to I wanna kind of set that up as the backdrop for, for where we're going to go here in Mark 9. Long intro, um, but the, uh, we'll look at Mark 9 uh, briefly, uh, starting in verse uh, 14. And let me read it first, and then I'll make a few comments on it. And when they came to, to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And he asked them, what are you arguing about? What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, and he has a spirit that makes him mute. I guess I had that slide in twice. Uh, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds uh, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him immediately, he convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has it been? How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all the thing all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, they rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And when he entered the house... Uh, sorry, the disciples asked him, why couldn't we cast it out? And he said to them, this kind 
cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So I just want to focus on a couple of things. This is a, one of my favorite stories in Mark, um, and because I think it's one of the most honest stories in Mark, and I, and I feel like I can identify uh, myself in it quite easily. Um, so this, this boy uh, has a spirit that makes him mute. Um, and I, you know, I didn't pick this passage for this week. It just happened that it lined up this way. Um, and uh, I couldn't help but reading as I read this passage uh, and seeing uh, the protests of people um, who are reacting to what's going on in the world um, beca- on behalf of people that they feel are muted, that aren't being noticed, that aren't being protected. And we see here the heart of God in the person of Jesus um, who comes to this boy who's been oppressed uh, to the point that he's mute and he can't speak and he's voiceless. And I think we have all sorts of spirits, uh, so to speak, in our world that make people feel muted, that take away their voice. And so this is the situation, this, this voiceless boy in Mark 9, and Jesus is there and we have a desperate, uh, we have a desperate father. And the text says, uh, whenever uh, this this demon seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and he grinds his teeth and becomes so rigid. <laughs> and uh, and so the father says, I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And uh, the disciples, the the foundation, the pillars of the church that would launch this this revolution, were not able to cast it out. Uh, they were they were attempting to do what they had seen their Lord do over and over again. Jesus had sent them out with authority. Jesus had sent them out to do what he did. We've talked about that, that they were sent out to, you know, to be his representative in the world and to do what he did and to preach the gospel and to cast out demons. And here they are uh, not able to live up to the standard of the one they claim to follow. And I, I think in history and today, we have to recognize that the church often fails to live up to the standard of the one that we claim to follow. You know, we call ourselves Christians, which means little Christs. And the idea is that when people look at us, they should be able to see uh, Jesus in us. Um, But in humility, we have to recognize that um, sometimes people don't see Jesus in us. Sometimes we are broken people. Um, you know, at SunWest, we talk about shalom breakers. We've broken relationship with others, becoming shalom makers, that we're in a process of becoming and joining Jesus and bringing peace and shalom into this world. But we have to recognize that often we are perpetrators and we participate um, in actually working against the kingdom. Um, you know, even in light of what I'm, I'm talking about, if you look at me, I'm a middle-aged man, I'm white, I'm a Christian, I'm male, and I know that puts me in a position of privilege and power. And I know that though, that, that position, uh, that those things have been leveraged and used to keep people down in history, in our, in our world. Um, and I just want to say that if Christianity, if the Bible has ever been used to keep you muted, to keep you voiceless, to keep you oppressed, uh, I am so sorry. Like I said, this is diametrically opposed to the person, the teachings, and the kingdom of Jesus. And I'll be the first to admit that I fall short of living at the standard that Jesus set for us. 
uh, that like the disciples, I, you know, I, I try my best sometimes and I fall short. Uh, but we need to recognize that with humility, no matter who you are, uh, to recognize the places that we fall short and be quick uh, to apologize and say sorry and recognize that sometimes we have participated uh, in creating this anti-kingdom uh, in the world in which we're living. In verse 22, uh, it goes on and says, uh, It is often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Have compassion on us and help us. And I, I want to talk about those two phrases uh, because I think they're so, uh, they're, they're so loaded uh, because they're not the same thing. Having compassion and helping are two uh, different things, but they're both so important. The word compassion, we already saw this word come up in Mark chapter 1. Um, compassion literally means to suffer with. It it's, it's actually has a close correlation with indignation and with anger. And we have to recognize that anger is not the opposite of love. Sometimes we think anger, uh, hatred is the opposite of love, but it's actually not. Indifference, apathy is the opposite of love. Not caring is the opposite of love. In fact, your anger and the things that you hate uh, are actually an indication of what you truly love. So compassion means to become indignant, to, to suffer with, to come to an understanding uh, and an experience with uh, someone else who, uh, whatever they're experiencing, to have compassion, to be with, to be with them. And when we become, we become compassionate, we actually become passionate, we become indignant, we become uh, angry, we, we become upset, uh, hopefully at the things that God is upset about. And so the Father says to have compassion on us. Jesus, suffer with us and help us. And I think often we're, we're very solution-oriented. We want to find solutions, and whether that's through the miraculous and wanting God to show up in the miraculous way and, 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 and heal or fix a situation, or we're solution-oriented and we want to go in ourselves in a, in a situation of social justice and fix a situation. And both those things... Uh, both those ways of how God chooses to rectify and fix situations are, are awesome and are valuable. Uh, but we need to recognize that, that God, com God actually responds in help, but God also responds in compassion. That God doesn't, you know, stand far off somewhere and just send help from a distance. That the, the, the gospel story is God himself choosing to suffer with, choosing to come down uh, to earth. Uh, choosing to come in the form of a helpless babe, to be constricted in the, the person of a human, to, to die a criminal's death on a cross, and to suffer with his creation. To suffer with. And Jesus said to him, if you can, because the, the father said, if you can. Uh, and, and Jesus turns it back, what do you mean if I can? Uh, all things are possible for the one who believes. And, and, and when Jesus says all things are possible... He's saying that all things that are, are a part of the kingdom of God are accessible and possible for the one who trusts in me. And that's what the word believe is actually referring to. And so the, the father responds. Um, he cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. And I'm sorry if I'm a broken record, but I think this is so important for us to understand because 
we often misunderstand the implications of it in our in in how we understand faith and following Jesus. Believe and faith are the same word in the Greek, and uh, this word pistis. And if you're at home, you can say it out loud. You can say it, if you're a kid, if you're a parent, just say pistis. You know this word has connotations of faith, faithfulness, fidelity, or trust. It does not really mean belief as we understand it. If we use the modern definitions of believe. Uh, it's possible to believe in the right things, but yet have zero trust and zero faith. Uh, you know, I remember working at camp uh, as a as a camp counselor back in the day, and I'm afraid of heights. And I remember we had to learn all the skills in order to teach the skills, and we had a climbing wall at the camp, and I was just terrified of myself, uh, t- terrified of heights. And so I climbed up the wall very, very carefully, and uh, and I got to the top, and I'm just like shaking, shaking in fear. Uh, but the most scariest part is what happens after you get the get to the top. Uh, and I had seen like hundreds of people go up and down the wall. I had no problem believing intellectually uh, that I was safe, that this harness could hold me, that this the self-induced wedgie was actually for my benefit and for my good. Uh, and so I'm in that moment, and I'm shaking, and. And I have this decision to make, uh, and, and the person's belaying me at the bottom, and they say, just trust the rope. Just trust the harness. Just trust me. And, and I can intellectually believe all I want that the rope can hold me, that this harness is good for me, that the person down below actually knows what they're doing. Uh, and I can believe it, but we could say I don't truly believe it until I let go of the wall and put my weight back. And it's that, it's that, it's that action of, when what I think and what I do align, that I begin to have faith. That faith is an action word. Pistis, faith, is action. And in the Greek, when it moves into the verb form, so pistis is a noun, when it moves into the verb form, it's the word pistuo, which is the same, comes from the same root pistis. Uh, it does not equal believe. It just equals faithing. It's the same idea. Faith is a deeply relational concept. Concept It means to trust. Pistis means to trust. Pistuo means to put your trust into something. Faith is belief or trust in a person that moves us to act lovingly and loyally towards that person. It's not believing something that runs against our intellect, but it's moving beyond our intellect and what we think to actually our experience and what we're doing and how we're acting. If I have faith in Jesus, it means that I trust him enough to follow him to embrace his teachings for my life. Dallas Willard states that to believe something is to act as if it is so. To pistuo, to faith something, is to act as if it is so. And so this father, I think in one of the most honest statements uh, in the book of Mark, for sure, and, and maybe in the entire Bible, says he cries out in desperation to Jesus and says, I have faith. I believe, but I don't have faith at the same time. Help my unbelief. I trust you, but help me where I don't trust you. And then after crying out and convulsing terribly, the demon came out of the boy Um and uh, and the boy was like a corpse. So most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lift him, lifted him up, him up, and he arose. And and the words there literally is he raised him up and he was resurrected. 
This was a resurrection. Mark is using the same word here for resurrecting the boy as he used with Jairus' daughter and as he used uh, with uh, Jesus at his own resurrection. When Jesus showed up, so do not miss this. When Jesus showed up on the scene, uh, things did not look more peaceful. The demon made the boy convulse. And then when Jesus cast the demon out, the boy, uh, you know, scholars would actually argue that the boy might likely have been dead because of the wording here in the Greek. That Jesus showed up, the boy convulsed, the boy died, but yet that wasn't the end of the story. And it's so true that when the kingdom of light clashes with the kingdom of darkness, things often seem worse before they get bad, better because there's a spiritual war that is going on and we have to recognize that. And, and so when there's disruption in our world, you know, sometimes we just think, man, things are getting worse. And that might be so on one hand, but we can also look around and say, God is up to something. That the mountains are coming down, the valleys are coming up, and there's a highway, there's a prairie land that's being created for the kingdom of God to come in. And so and when he had entered the house, and so the the disciples are now get the chance to talk to Jesus uh, because they couldn't do what he could do. And so when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why, could we, why couldn't we cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So, problem here. At what point in this story did Jesus stop to pray? You can go back and read it. I won't wait for you to read it, but go back and read it later. Try and find the point in the story where Jesus stopped to pray. Uh, spoiler alert, he didn't. At no point in the story did Jesus stop to pray. But Jesus says that this kind only comes out through prayer. Jesus was a man of action living a lifestyle of prayer. If you look at the windows of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, we recognize that Jesus was always praying, that Jesus was always going off uh, by himself, that he was always taking time with the Father, that he was always in this rhythm and this lifestyle of, of uh, communion with the Father. In the, in the Gospel of John, he says that I don't do anything that my Father doesn't tell me to do. And so Jesus is always connected in prayer. And I think sometimes uh, we're either people of prayer or people of action. We're somewhere on the spectrum. Um, but I think we're called to be people of prayer, not just action. And we're called to be people of action and not just prayer. I think without action, we preempt the answers to our own prayers because God often wants to partner with us to bring the change that we're asking him to bring. Without prayer, our actions will have no power to bring systemic change in our world because we're just working with our own power. And, and if we can recognize anything right now in our world, you can look around and say the power of man, the inventions of man, the advancements of man is not enough to syst systemically change our world or the human heart. Jesus had a regular rhythm and practice of prayer, so when the moment came for him to act and respond, he was ready and he moved with power. Last Sunday uh, was Pentecost Sunday, and that's the, the Sunday uh, during the church calendar that we, we look and we remember uh, the moment in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2 where the Spirit came, where Jesus, Jesus died, he was resurrected, uh, and he told his disciples to wait. Uh, the you know a helper is going to come. The Holy Spirit is going to come, and so they're waiting. And and the the Holy Spirit came, and there was revival. There was renewal in the church. And 
we need to ask the question, what did revival look like in that moment on Pentecost Sunday? It looked like justice. It looked like equality. It looks like people becoming one under the lordship of Jesus. If you read the account in Acts chapter 2, every tribe, tongue, and nation, people are speaking in different nations. And then it goes on to say that in the early church that no one was out without need, that no one had need uh, because they were meeting each other's needs. The mountains came down, the valleys came up. Uh, every language actually was able to hear the gospel in their own language. And now if you go through history and you actually did a study of revival history when God's spirit has come down and moments like that have happened and we've seen, um, you know, these moments uh, of revival that look like justice, if you pay attention, uh, you know, and I did a a course in my seminary studies where we looked at revival history uh, and every revival in history was preceded by a movement of prayer. Every revival in history was preceded by a movement of prayer. Pentecost had every tribe, tongue, and nation coming together. The early church was the church without need, and that moment was preceded by a time in the church where they were praying and waiting and seeking the Lord. It was birthed in prayer, and it was lived out in courageous action. People of prayer and people of action. I I think Jesus' people, people that take Jesus' teaching and his life seriously, are people of prayer, but they're also people of action. They are people of action, but they're also people of prayer. And I think when we think of prayer, we tend to cry out to God and pray out to God when we receive personal pain, when something is uncomfortable, when something is shaking in our world. Uh, And that's happening, and I think that's partly why people are turning to God Right now, uh, it may be in a way that they haven't before because uh, they are desperate. But I would ask the question, how do we become people that have a regular rhythm and dependency of God, a regular practice of prayer? How, How do we become praying people? How do we cry out to God normally and regularly as a way of living? And I believe part of the answer to becoming a people of prayer is to becoming a people of compassion. Because if we learn how to suffer with we will begin to cry out with. We will become indignant. We will become angry at the things that God is angry at. We will begin to love the things that God loves. And, and so we actually need to identify minorities. We need to identify people who are suffering. We need to identify people that don't, have, uh, that don't feel like they have a voice. And we need to listen. We need to, uh, we need to understand. We need to feel what they feel. And I believe that when we do that as a community, we begin to cry out to God, become a people of prayer and of action. And we think of Jesus crying out. Jesus cried out uh, on the cross to his Father. And I think because, uh, yes, he felt pain personally. But if we know the gospel, uh, he came and experienced the pain of the world, and he was taking the pain of the entire world onto himself, and he cries out in prayer. SunWest, I want revival. I want renewal. I want to see God's kingdom come. Um, But more than what I want, I think we need to recognize that that's what God wants. And we need to see that revival is birthed in prayer, and revival looks like equality and justice. In Romans 8, Paul gives this picture of uh, the world uh, being in birth and having birth pangs. 
and it's groaning and waiting for this renewal. We're waiting for this life uh, to be birthed to come. And I would say, Son West, let's be midwives. Let's be participants with God. Let's play our role. Let's pray. Uh, let's groan. Let's work together. And and sometimes that seems so big and so weighty. And I, and I would say, don't be paralyzed by all of the millions of things going on in the world. Uh, but ask the Lord to give you focus on what in your world, in your story, in your circle, in your family, in your community, uh, where is he asking you to practice compassion, to be a person of prayer and action? You know, maybe there's, uh, you know, maybe there's a, a person, uh, in my, a minority person, uh, that God is going to invite you to understand their story. You know, I actually took the opportunity a few times this week to just reach out and ask people, help me understand, because um, I'm re- realizing as I'm living through this the the amount of ignorance and uh, ignorance and unawareness that I normally operate in, and I need to see other perspectives. And so I'm reaching out and I'm asking uh, friends that are uh, that are living in a different you know place than I am, different way than I am, different ethnicity than I am, speak a different language than I do. You know, how do you experience uh, you know what's going on in our world right now? And maybe as we just look around and look at our brothers and sisters and neighbors and family members and, and people that maybe are struggling to have a voice or whatever, or they're suffering for another reason, what does it mean for us to have compassion, to be like Jesus, to suffer with, to groan in prayer, and not just leave it there, but to become people of action so that we can bring the mountains down and the valleys up and create a highway for our God so that renewal, revival, and his kingdom could come to earth as it is in heaven. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that we thank you that you're God. We thank you, God, that you came to earth not just to fix everything, but you actually came to suffer with. Lord, I pray that we would uh, be courageous in this moment to be people of prayer and compassion um, and also to be people of action. Lord, I thank you for the prayer warriors that live among us. Um, And I thank you for, Lord, the people that are action-oriented that live among us. I pray that we would, as a community, do both very well. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see those who are hurting, those who are suffering, uh, those who feel like they don't have a voice, uh, and you would move us uh, to places of compassion, that we would pray prayers of compassion. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, what is going on in our world, Lord. And I pray against paralysis. I pray against apathy, uh, which often comes in, in, when there's information and emotional overload. Uh, and God, I pray that we would hear your voice clearly on the, uh, on the specific things that you are calling us as a church and us as individuals to respond to. And uh, may that be clear. May you give us courage. May you give us faith, not just to see it, believe it, but to act on it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for joining us this morning, Sun West. I, I just want to leave you with a couple of going deeper questions to pray about, to reflect on in the coming week. Uh, what do you think it means uh, to have more faith? Uh, what does more faith mean if we understand it as intellectual belief? Uh, and what does more faith mean if we understand it as trust and action? How would, uh, how would the definition of more faith change depending on, uh, on whether you see it as intellectual or trust and, and action? Uh, secondly, on the spectrum of prayer and action, 
where would you tend to put yourself? Do you default as a person of, of prayer? Uh, or do you default uh, is, as a person of action? And if so, what, what, a, what would it look like for you to become more balanced and incorporate the other into your life? Maybe there's some specific steps uh, that you could take to be a person of both prayer and action. Uh, and then lastly, who in your world is God asking you to have compassion on? And I don't mean pity on. I, uh, very different. I, I am I'm asking who in your world, if you ask God, are you to have compassion on to suffer with? Is there someone suffering in, in some form in the world in your world that you're aware of? You know, I'm not asking you to solve the world's problems, but pray and ask God, is there a person? Is there an individual uh, that you're calling me to to listen to, to to participate with, to try and understand better better? And then I would encourage you to take a courageous step this week uh, to listen and suffer with them. Uh, so I hope those reflection questions uh, just help uh, bring these truths and move them uh, into your life in a more uh, foundational way. Uh, blessings this week as you seek to follow Jesus and to bring down mountains, bring up valleys, uh, and, and bring the kingdom of God uh, wherever you go.